Welcome to Movies Charles Hasn't Seen, episode 103. I'm Charles. I'm Crossman. And I'm Wilson. Um, so Crossman, tell us about the podcast. Sure. So this is a podcast where uh, we share movies with each other, often looking at film history or even some contemporary films that we like. And I think the point is to just like get a better understanding of film and larger film library under our belts. Right. And, and to learn about just like stuff we like. Right. Like that's my goal. I just want to watch a bunch of movies that I like and share them with people. Yeah. Yeah. So this week we watched the apartment on Wilson's suggestion. So Wilson, tell us about the apartment. Uh, sure. So the the apartment was made in 1960. Uh, it was directed by uh, Billy Wilder, who had previously visited for Double Indemnity. Uh, it stars Jack Lemmon as Cece Baxter and Shirley MacLaine in what I believe is her screen debut as uh, Fran uh, Kublik. And also Fred McMurray, who we saw in Double Indemnity earlier. Jack Lemmon plays the Baxter character, who is an insurance adjuster or evaluator or something at a giant insurance company. He has gotten roped into lending out his apartment in some early unprofitable version of Airbnb to <laughs> the various uh, executives at this company, so that they can participate in their illicit affairs with the with uh, numerous women. He, in the meanwhile, uh, falls for the Shirley MacLaine character, Kublik, who plays one of the elevator operators in his building. He learns that she is having an affair with his boss's boss, um, the Fred McMurray character, and drama and romance unfolds from there. This is mostly known as a proto-feminist take and a proto-rom-com, and I think it mostly um, fits that bill. Um, and it's also one of Billy Wilder's most popular and famous movies, so it feels like something significant that we should be watching. Uh, Charles, what do you think of The Apartment? I enjoyed The Apartment. I did feel like Super. I liked the first half a lot more than the second half. Like before people start committing suicide? Yeah, committing I suicide. Did, so I knew nothing about this movie. I hadn't even mm -hmm. heard of it before you suggested it, actually. Really? So I went in with no <clears throat> expectations or like... I had no idea what was about to happen or mm -hmm. like I didn't even know it was a comedy movie really yeah. um, so it was a pleasant surprise like it was pretty funny like right off the bat and all that right um, but then things went straight from zero to a hundred immediately <laughs> and I'm like whoa what is happening like she just tried to kill herself and then I don't know the the humor in the rest of the movie just all seemed very incongruous with what was happening on screen and what they were dealing with and then it just felt kind of it just kind of grated on me a little bit the the with the the lightheartedness that they treated the subject matter, and there were definitely scenes that felt like they were dragging on a bit too long after the suicide attempt scene, um, and so it kind of felt like the movie was maybe a half hour longer than it wanted to be, at least to me. Um, so yeah, I liked the setup a lot, and I felt like it started to fall apart a bit once it really hit the fan. Okay, I, I hear that. You hadn't seen this one either, right, Crossman? No, yeah, this is new to me. Okay, how'd, how'd you feel about it? Um, I don't, I don't think I love this movie. Yeah, I okay. Just, uh, um, I think our main character is like pretty likable. Well, that's um, Jack Lemmon. Like, that's yeah, his, that's his whole career <laughs> being likable. <laughs> well, wasn't he in the Out of Towners? Um, yeah, or the Honeymooners, whatever the. Oh, God. He, he's in like the original one. He's well, his most famous role is in The Odd Couple. He was the neat one. Um, and then some like it hot. Yeah. Um, he might be right about that, though. Yeah. But yeah, like he, I mean, I'll look that up. His career is like disgusting. the likable guy. That's his whole thing. Oh, well, I was going to say, because in that movie, if if I'm correct, he's very unlikable. Okay. He's kind of like a pretentious dick through the whole thing. <laughs> um, yeah, here he's he's pretty likable. Um, yeah, I don't know. It felt like he was like kind of reinforced. Like, the critique of the film actually felt like at times it was like kind of reinforcing the things that it was like trying to critique. And there's there are moments yeah. that have an age grade. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. It felt kind of gross. It felt like it was like I don't. I guess it was like accurate to the time of like how uh, the patriarchy and white supremacy operates. But yes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, because like, like the mo the one that the moment that stands out for me is near the beginning of the film when he's like chatting up Shirley MacLaine on the sidewalk, 
and he like lists out all of her personal information. Yeah, that was alarming. <laughs> like that was insane. Like there's she, a, she seemed like she found was it like really kind cute of okay that with he had it. stalked her and memorized her personal information, including <laughs> her social security number. And I'm sitting there like, what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's kind of a problem with all rom coms, though. You're right. Just like the message from Hollywood, not even just rom coms, but just like from Hollywood movies and shows, is just that you're like set your sights on one person, and mm. then you just like pursue them and then you get them. against all odds and yeah you, you wear them away until yeah. they finally turn kind of one of the reasons for getting sarah marshall like holds up yeah that's in, a good moment that it's like the the opposite where you just like do everything to get away from somebody and right and that's the correct thing to do right like you should be doing that yeah <laughs> getting away from them have you seen getting sarah marshall i have actually that's a good movie i like yeah that movie. i liked it yeah i'm um, sorry i think that's a good point of contrast but yeah so here i think I, I guess the the intent of the movie is is a good one, but I'm not sure that it holds holds up after so many years. Yeah, and like that's yeah. one of the things we like. Whenever you meet a movie, especially a comedy, that's that old. Like, there's going to be stuff that is comedy's just, tough. Comedy's yeah. really tough. And Billy Wilder directed his fair share, and a lot of them have held up held up better than a lot of other comedies. Yeah, but there are still, still things. Like, yeah, even in this one, I was like, I I, I guess this is where jokes are. <laughs> but right. they're like really hammy jokes. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, oh, okay, this is supposed to be funny. A joke. Yeah. Here's <laughs> like, the laugh track. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, even like the entire premise of Some Like It Hot has aged so poorly. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, it'd be, I think it'd be challenging for someone to come to that movie fresh now and like not be like, oh, okay, like this is what this movie's yeah. about. There was one moment where I was like, kind of late in the film uh-huh. when. It's revealed that he like has a gun, right? And I was like, "Yo!" It was like in the last fifteen minutes. Yeah, I was like, "Wait, are they?" <laughs> that was fucked up. Is, is he gonna kill his boss? Is that <laughs> or what... himself? Yeah, yeah, or like all those bosses that like put him in place? And I was like, "This just took an interesting <laughs> turn." That I didn't it... think was gonna happen, but they did. Yeah. Like they did riff on it with the the champagne bottle thing, and I was like, right. "Jeez, yeah." Right? Like obviously he hasn't shot himself, but they're making that joke. Yeah, it's pretty close to a suicide joke. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, and... that's they. You can't keep doing that. Yeah, it's messed up. Yeah, I was, yeah. In my like head canon of this movie it turns into like a Bonnie and Clyde thing where him and Kubalek just like kill all the bosses and like <laughs> and die. well that's yeah. more of yeah that would be like Bonnie and Clyde or uh, Butch Cassidy yeah <laughs> plays a glory type of thing um, that, that's yeah. a really helpful movie it was an interesting insight into kind of like 1960s work culture that's my like, favorite thing about it yeah. is like how much of a time capsule it is sort of like pre-computer Computer, although they reference computers, um, yeah, the, IBM, IBM. Yeah. Yeah. the international business machine machines. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was interesting. But yeah, like work is like computing is just done by tons of people, right? Just and, in rows and like unnumbered desks. And yeah, yeah. So and, it's well, like interesting to see that. It, it so much reminded me of Mad Men, right? And I think that if like you can see the inspiration uh, that Mad Men drew from this, yeah, they must have, especially in the first season. Yeah, um, and if this is accurate to what was going on in 1960, then Batman is also super accurate because it, it feels pretty close to that. Yeah, it's obviously like punched up. Like there's an absurdity to like it's how large the floors are mm-hmm. and like how many people are on the floor. And, right. Yeah. I mean, but the, um, like the broad tropes about like numerous extramarital affairs and like just keeping your your work life and your home life like very, very separate and just the rampant sexism and all that. Like <laughs> that feels like it, it probably was pretty accurate. Yeah, and sort of the um, immunity that being rich like gives you. Yeah. That I, I don't think this film does like a good job of answering. Like none of the bad people in the movie like really get punished. Like the one guy gets divorced, but I, which in nineteen sixty might is very big deal and mm-hmm. ostracizing <clears throat> uh, to the person that it happens to, mm-hmm. but I, it doesn't feel like anybody like really, those who deserved it didn't seem to get punished. Yeah. <laughs> right, I think yeah. like the arc of this film is really about the Jack Lemmon character learning to assert himself and like take some stock in who he is and... Breaking out of the cycle. Right, exactly, and and the movie does that and I, I think that's, that arc, I think, is pretty successful. Kind of at the expense, though, of the women, right? Where he, like, he finds, like, professional success by throwing this Kublai under the bus, basically. Right? You think so? Well, that's the whole point, right? His arc yeah. is that he does do it, but then he regrets it and gives it up. 
kind of, but right. yeah, I, I don't know. He seems to get like a lot of success out of it. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's I guess only my... the very last seconds of the film does he be like, "All right, now right. I'm gonna do the right." right I understand thing, that that's which, the point of the movie. I guess part yeah. of my problem with it was that he spent too long in that mode where he's still trying to yeah. benefit his job. Because I knew that he was going, that the arc was going to be him like breaking out of it eventually. That's sure. where I thought it was building up to, and it was, but. He lingered in that mode for way too long. Even after she tries to kill herself, he's yeah. like still like mm, you he's know still trying to he's like still like cashing. She was with him instead of the boss. And yeah, all he's that. still like cashing in on it. Oh, I, I read that so differently because yeah. like that moment, like when she's recovering, I think is one of the strongest parts of the film. Because what uh, what you see there, I think what how or how I read it is that he's not trying to leverage her suicide to his benefit. But even post that, he accepts the. Uh, promotion the director promotion right but he, yeah. he but he's constantly protecting like her feelings and like her, her from the very negative response that the fred mcmurray character had right like he is th that's what he's looking out for where he could have been saying oh no this guy was a huge jerk he said that he basically doesn't give a shit about you you should come be with me instead and he doesn't do that and i think that that is that's the notable part of that section for me is that he could have taken so much advantage of her when she's at this very vulnerable point yeah. and instead he doesn't I, I don't read that as much in his favor uh, as you do because a lot of what he was covering for was so that his boss wouldn't be implicated in the situation. Yeah, that did seem like a big driving force for him. Yeah, or like even when he covered for the boss not like reacting to her situation at all, mm -hmm. I didn't read that as him like not exploiting her. I read that as him trying to preserve her relationship with the boss in case the boss still felt for her or something like that. that I, I guess I just had, I, I did not read it that way at all. Like I, I think that he was lying to protect the boss's image in Shirley MacLaine's eyes, right? Because he knew that she still cared for him, right? And, and he didn't want to bring that sadness onto her, which is why when he has, it's like, oh, I, I can't go visit her right now. He, he, she, he speaks so flippantly of her when they're on mm -hmm. the phone, and he gives her this song and dance about, oh, no, he's really worried about you, and he wants to help you, and da 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 da, da. And I think that, that that seems pretty significant, a significant character moment for the Jack Lemmon character, right? Like, that that's... That's what I'm pointing to here. It still feels like he's leading her astray, right? Like, he well, he's lying to her. Yeah, he should like let her down harder. Right, but he's he he he's doing it with good intentions, and eventually he stops. Right, like I think that that the the ending is the conceit, and the ending of this movie is him being more honest with himself and more honest with with Fran, um, and I think that that's significant. Right, you can't just say, "Oh, he did it at the last minute." Like that's the most important part. It's like, yeah. how, what's the the messaging happens at the end. Yeah, I, I, I think it's that character is like challenging because he is like so likable, mm -hmm. but at the same time, you're like he's kind of doing terrible things right. throughout the film. I mean, he is, yeah. and yeah. then he learns and changes. Yeah. Like that's what that's what drama is. In in a way, that's kind of like psychopathic, almost like. In, he, in how so? Well, he's he's so positive, such that he's like unable to see or even deal with people that are like taking advantage of him. Or is willing to sacrifice pretty major elements of his life to get ahead like in, a, in, in a corporate, for a night. corporate environment. <laughs> right. And I mean, uh, and that's the, the central conflict in the character, right? Like that he has so little self-confidence and so little sen sense of himself that he lets all these people just run over him. Uh, yeah, I don't. I mean, you could read it that way. You could also just read it that like he's willing to do these things to get ahead such that... I mean, it's like... It's There's a bit of like probably, sociopathy it's, involved it, in it. It's probably yeah. both, but like sociopathy, you associate with so much more like assertive charm, whereas he's a very passive character. He's allowing things to happen to him. He's basically he, doing. He gets bulldozed for sure, but yeah. like the intent seems to be to get ahead in his career. I, that's the benefit, but yeah. I think once he, a he realizes it's not worth it. Which is again what the movie is about at the it's very like, last seconds of the film, yeah. right? Yeah. What the movie is about, I the know, message of I the know, film. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, he, I mean, he so he figures out it's wrong, and like we know it's wrong the whole time. Like the movie never frames this as like he's being a savvy, cool operator here. It's no, like, no, that's not right. Like the movie sure. is constantly condemning these actions, right? And it's constantly about like look at how much this guy is debasing himself for these rewards that aren't worth it, and look at what he's losing. I mean, on top of like the physical detriment of like having to sleep in the park and getting a cold, yeah. but like he's losing so much of himself as he does this, 
And I think the perspective of the film is that he should take his apartment back, right? Like that's what he needs to do. He needs to assert that this is his space and his life and his person um, and that it's not worth giving up that for the you know, benefit of becoming an assistant director, whatever it is, to the Fred McQuarrie character. That's how I read it anyway. Uh, but speaking of Baxter, what do we think of Jack Lemmon? Like he's, he kind of carries the film as a central character. Uh, have you seen a Jack Lemmon movie before? I don't think so. He's made a lot of I, them. I looked him up on IMDb and I don't <laughs> think any of the entries sounded that familiar. Okay. So, I mean, this is a good entry point for him because yeah. it's one of his earlier works where he's still kind of like in the prime of his talent. Not that Abe's ever not in the prime of his talent. <laughs> but uh, what'd you think, uh, Lemon? Yeah, I mean, I I very much liked his performance. He he very quickly conveys himself as that kind of low confidence, but very like goofy and likable character. Mm -hmm. He's like, you know, that kind of awkward main character. Um, so yeah, he conveyed that very quickly and like I was on his side like immediately. Well, I mean, relatively on his side. Right. You still see you what want, he's doing. You want him to figure out you want yeah. him to do the right thing, right? Like you're yeah. waiting for him to do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I, I mean, Jack, he's stood the test of time forever. Like that guy just had a career that I think lasted basically up until he died in 2007, I want to say. He died relatively recently. I think it's the 2001. 2001? Okay. Uh, maybe I read it wrong. Right. Um, but yeah, like this is um, a pretty important role in his career. The one he had before this was in Some Like It Hot, also with Billy Wilder. Um, which I think ended up on the AFI, number one on the AFI comedy movie mm. list. Um, that, I think this one was up there as well. Um, he was in The Outer Towners. He was? Okay. Yes, he's the, the husband that's like coming for an interview to New York. If you want to see an unlikable Jack Lemmon, watch that. Because <laughs> he is, is a total asshole. Um, 1970. It's the original like Outer Towners, I think. Okay, I must yeah. have missed that one along the way. It's okay. been remade many times. But I'm pretty, I might have seen sure one of the, the original. One of, I might have seen one of the remakes, yeah, because I associate them most strongly with this movie, Some Like It Hot, and Odd Couple. Yeah, it's basically the premise is like two people from like the Midwest come to New York, and they're just so horrified by. Yeah, no, like, I've definitely <laughs> seen a version of this movie yeah. somewhere <laughs> along the line with somebody else. Yeah, I want to um, say Steve Martin, but that might be. Yeah, wrong. yeah, Steve Martin was in one. Okay, one I saw of, the Steve Martin one, one of many remakes. Got it. Um, but yeah, Jack Lemmon is just like a awful in it okay like the whole time that's funny yeah because yeah because normally it's like he's the the man the good guy the neat one yeah yeah it's meant to play as comedic but watching it um 40 50 years later it's like this is just like a total <laughs> asshole coming to new york being an asshole yeah okay that's funny um but yeah, like uh, I, I to think the point where you're like, I hope he gets stabbed. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, 1970, there's a zero chance of that happening. Yeah. Um, but I think he's great here. Like, I, I think that he just absolutely, he and Shirley like absolutely hold this movie together, um, and it wouldn't function with other people yeah. in those roles. Um, and I guess what I noted on this viewing is how much of the character happens on his face. Yeah. Right. Like. He's, he has this distinctive manner of speech and, and tone of voice and things like that, but so much of his talent, I think, happens when he's not talking. And you can see every little emotion uh, play across his face. He's got such good, like, goofy and innocent looks right. on his face. It's like when uh, the boss's boss was, like, kind of hinting that he wanted to use the apartment, mm -hmm. and he's, he's, like, totally, like, oblivious <laughs> to this somehow. <laughs> Um, and I thought that was a hilarious scene. But you see, like you see his obliviousness, but then you also see him gradually realize what he's asking. Yeah. And he, you do it with so little dialogue, right? Like he, he, you see him make that shift without him saying anything about it yeah. until you know he, after he, he, he pulls his key out. Sick, very realistically. Too. Yes. <laughs> he does like a good job of like having a cold. Yeah, and he, <laughs> you I mean, can I noted see, that throughout that he, whole sequence. And, and I think in, in sequences like that, you can see like the old Hollywood DNA in his acting style, right? That it's more physical, a little bit more theater influenced um, than you would see now. So he, he like has like very precise control of his body in a way that's sometimes missing or sometimes like kind of has to be learned on the job um, in, in modern actors. Um, and it pays off here because like there's so much that he does with the space and with the, the control of how he orients himself uh, relative to other characters here. I yeah, his really posture is very important to sell his character. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then that, I believe this is Shirley MacLaine's first first screen performance, um, and she would obviously go on to have a big giant career in 
in film, um, but I think she's great here. Like she feels so, she feels like a veteran. She feels like she's been doing this for her entire life. Um, what do we think about uh, Shirley MacLaine, the Fran Kublik? What really stood out to me was the scene where she's talking with Fred McMurray in okay, the I was Chinese totally restaurant. wrong. She's done lots of stuff before this. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go ahead. When she's talking with Fred McMurray, um, when they first meet at the Chinese restaurant, mm -hmm. uh, her like little monologue scene there, I really liked her performance there because she like starts to tear up and you can really see like the emotional effect that this relationship has had on her. And I thought that was a very powerful scene. So that that specific one really blew me away. Yeah, I agree. Like she's great there. And you get you have like these great moments that Billy Wilder frames really well. Like when they're cutting back to the New Year's party and you like you see her just in the hat with the New Year's stuff going all going all over the place and she's just looks miserable. Mm -hmm. um, and he like centers her in a way that like features her performance really well. Um, and I I think there's a, there's so much more range to this character than we typically get in romantic comedies, and it, it feels like something that modern rom-coms could learn from. Yeah, how do you feel about Kublik? Yeah, it's um, uh, you know, it, it's a good like tragic character. Like yeah. I think they do a good job of like <clears throat> like they they say her faults, but it's like you know, it's it feels like a realistic character, unlike a lot of other characters in the film. Yeah, there's a lot of like bigger than life kind of guys here like the all the bosses yeah. uh, all the bosses the doctor yeah right like the woman that uh jack lemon meets in the bar on christmas who's <laughs> <laughs> like a clown basically um so yeah like the even lemon is like he's, he's, yeah exactly yeah, like right like he's cartoon. yeah he's very cartoony yeah he's a comedian first yeah yeah she put she has like a very human role in this film right which i think is important like it's th that needs to be centered so she feels like a person and not like a prize because i think it's easy for that sense to yeah to overwhelm the film yeah and it's easy to sort of connect with like her liking the person that she knows has you know betrayed her many times right yeah yeah and, and that again feels true to life and and that like it doesn't make like the movie doesn't make her look dumb Right, like I think it's it would be easy to take a character like that, that is like, you know, making the same mistake over and over and over again, um, and to have her look, like infantile and and trivial. Well, I thought the repeated jokes about her spelling were a bit unnecessary. Yeah, maybe. I, I thought those like were making her look actually dumb and didn't really. Appreciate they they that. needed some for, sort of excuse for her to be like an elevator operator. <laughs> I, mean, I, guess. I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's the only thing I think of. Yeah, they didn't, yeah. didn't have to keep twisting that knife. I yeah, they did it like three times. Okay, I guess I just read it as more of a joke. But yeah, 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 that's a fair point. But I think that the way that the, the that she's characterized and like the, the the way that she kind of carries herself with you know basic a basic confidence that Jack Lemmon lacks here, uh, it speaks to the depth of the character and like the respect that Billy Wilder is approaching with which this character is being approached by by Billy Billy Wilder. I just I did kind of feel like she became a damsel just for the entire second half of the movie after she took the sleeping pills because you know I mean obviously they're trying to save her life but mm -hmm. then she kind of just floats around between scenes while um, Baxter is trying to like cover for his boss um, and you know things like that it, it kind of felt like she took a back seat throughout that part of the movie yeah I mean she's just not featured as much as it becomes Baxter's story and, and I mean, it was always Baxter's story. Like she was always well, yeah. a supporting character here. And wouldn't it be cool if she killed her lover? <laughs> there's a there's a good movie. Yeah, yeah. that that movie's got to exist, right? Like, that, oh yeah, I, she just uh, tries to kill the wrong person. Right. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, I think you're right. That's just the 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 arc of the film. Mm -hmm. um, and she does get her moment, like where she just walks out on McMurray at the um, New Year's yeah. party, which I think worked well. Uh, but yeah, like this is it, it becomes really just about whether or not Jack Lemmon's going to figure out what he needs to figure out about himself, and he does. Um, and her arc ends a little bit before that, I think, and naturally she recedes uh, from the movie. Yeah, I, I did find it hilarious how oblivious. I mean, we talked a bit about how oblivious Baxter was, but 
when he offers to play cards to try to keep uh, Kubelik awake. Yeah, he, best and kid then, army player in the world. Yeah, and he keeps dunking on her while she's <laughs> like, she's crying her. about how terrible her <laughs> yeah. life is. And he keeps wrecking her at this game. And he's like, like, are you sure you want to play that card? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this guy's like, such an asshole. Fuck off. <laughs> like, he got in on like two cards the first game. Yeah. And like, he drew it on the second, yeah, the second game. It's yeah. like, that's the best hand, best gin running hand I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> that just doesn't happen. Yeah, it was hilarious. I, mean, I was trying to remember Jin Rami, and I was like, mm. it's It's yeah. phenomenally unlikely. I think you have a hand of like 10 or 11, like a big hand, yeah. and they all need to be either sequences of three suited or like pairs, triples, or four of a kind. Right, and you, you go back and forth drawing and discarding until right. you have like... So you can Jam. either you can either draw a card from the deck or draw the card your opponent discarded. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. And so like your hand, if if you're done on turn one, your hand would have to be all <laughs> all uh, pairs, three of a kind or four of a kind, or all runs. Wow, you're so good at this. Suit. It's like there's no way, yeah. <laughs> no way that that would happen. It's um, like a slightly better version of War, right? Where you yeah, have I mean, like a little more agency in the outcome <laughs> of the game. Right, there are choices and like there's a, a rudimentary strategy to it. Right, okay. Um, so yeah, it's a better game than like the complete randomness yes. <laughs> of war. Yeah. Um, but it, like still, like it's hard to be good at gym running. Like you just draw good or you don't. Um, so yeah, he's the best gym, gym running player in the world. <laughs> Evidently. <laughs> um, the doctor? Okay, what do you think about the doctor? Um, well... I mean, his overriding character trait is that he's Jewish. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes he's both yeah. Jewish and a doctor. I, I think it's supposed to sort of imply that he's like in, an, in like an immigrant neighborhood. Like he's in like a maybe not the best part of town. Which is apparently like 59th Street? It was 67th yeah. Street, 67th right next Street. to Central Park. So <laughs> that, that apartment Park. costs a fortune now. Yeah, now it's like a $4 yeah. million dollar apartment. Or There's, yeah, probably the nicest part of Manhattan, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's just like, it's cozy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, man. I'll be um, out of that place. Yeah. He's likable, and then he comes in and saves <clears> her <throat> at the end. And his wife is also seems well-intentioned, too. Yes. Yeah, I loved um, how much she was like covering for Kubelik and was like really suspicious of Baxter. I yeah, it was yeah, she was like the one sensible character in this yeah. film. <laughs> that was uh, great. I was on board with the doctor, and then he starts slapping Kubelik around. Was I was like, much. "Whoa, like, that's another 1960 thing." I, I, I think. do wonder if that's like. I mean, you got to wake him up, right? Is that what you do, or is that just like not necessary? I don't get it. I don't know if you've ever put had uh, smelling salts put in your face or iodine, but I've not. You will wake up, okay. like it, because you're you need to like get away you from smelling it. salts. What's that? Well, you you've had smelling salts used on you. I've smelled them. Yeah. Wow. Okay. What happened? Um, someone just had them and they were like, here, smell it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're awake now. Yeah. (laughs) That'll do it. Um, and even when you're close to them, it's like... Potent. It's very potent. Because he cracked open like three of them. Yeah, and it's hard to describe, but when you're near them, you need to like get get away from them. Which is the point. Yeah. Yeah, so you may probably don't need to... It's almost like a, it's almost like a burning in your nose. Yeah. Okay, got it. So, but not really, it's just like, it's like a... Okay. Yeah, it's a very intense like experience. Okay. So the theory being yeah. that the seven or eight slaps that he delivered maybe not necessary. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, again, I'm not a I'm not a doctor. Also, so. you could like concuss somebody like knocking them around, which would give you you know sort of a negative feedback. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of, indeed. Of what we're trying to do. Yeah, that's the opposite of the direction we're going in. Um. So I question his uh his medical practices. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I guess he did save her. Right, and again, like this. This is just one of those things. It's 1960, right? Like, yes, that's incorrect. You shouldn't be hitting people when they're, you know, recovering from their uh, sleeping pill overdose or whatever. Mm-hmm. And but if that's going to be your critique of the movie, then it's like, okay, like you get to have their critique. But then it's just like you don't don't watch these movies. Then like then that's that's it's a it's a very obvious ground upon which to critique movies like this. And it's like you acknowledge it, or my position is like, yes, you acknowledge it. You're comfortable with it or you're not, and you move on from there. But yeah, yeah. Well, I'll make sure to learn from it. I, right. I think there is like more coding that's happening here, though. Like the fact that he's like, you know, there's Jewish immigrants next door, like means that he like lives in like an immigrant building. Oh yeah, I think yeah. that stuff is absolutely yeah more subtle and I think more important to to tease out, right? Like that he he's this 
obviously Jewish doctor, like maybe the slapping thing is some sort of like old world home remedy type of t approach. I don't know. Um, and yeah, I think that part is important. Yeah, for 1960, yeah, for sure. Right, because it I was mean, like, I don't think you see a lot of like Jews on screen well, there, in 1960. Yeah, the, in this movie, there was that guy and his wife and the landlady. Yeah. That was it. Like, there weren't any Jewish characters in his insurance company, that's for sure. Like, no, yeah, for just, sure. Very white a wasp. business. Yeah. yeah, like it was just model wasps. Yeah. The only black guy in this film is at the very, very end who's the... The shoeshine. The shoeshine part. Or not, or not, I saw white, one dude white, in the like frame when they're having the holiday party. Oh, okay. Well, I noted it because... Uh, there we go. I'm, there's so few of them. And I'm sure he has a great time working yeah. there. Jesus. Um, so yeah, like the, the racial politics of this, you know, mainstream rom-com from the 1960s aren't great. Yeah, like I will yeah, gladly concede that point. Yeah, it definitely seems to point to that like to be successful in like an office job, you need to be white, Gentile. Which was true. Yeah. Like in 1960, like, yeah. yeah, in 1960 that was the state of the world. Yeah. And in many respects still is. So... Yes, you acknowledge and move on. Um, this movie won five Oscars. Hmm. Best Picture. It? It's a Best Picture. It won Best Picture, oh, Best wow. Director, Screenwriting, um, Art Direction, which is like set direction apparently. I don't think they have that award anymore. And that's Editing. Weird. Okay. Um, that's a lot. That's a lot of Oscars. It's a lot of Oscars for a genre pick especially. I wonder what it's competing against in 1960. Yeah, I don't know. Not. Yeah, they don't do that for rom-coms anymore. No. The, the last time a romantic comedy won Best Picture, I think, was Shakespeare in Love. Oh, um, uh, yeah. A, yeah, a frequently, frequently maligned um, Best Picture winner. A movie I actually kind of like. I think Shakespeare in Love is pretty good. But, um, yeah, you do not see movies like that even getting nominated for Oscars anymore, much less uh, winning them. I guess we sort of had La La Land. <clears throat> Didn't win. Nominated. Yeah, it almost won. Nominated, <laughs> yeah. But, you know. Yeah, no, you, yeah, that that is true. But then it's like, you know, look at how great Hollywood is. Like that's why that movie. Yeah. Um, you're not going to see like a conventional type of straight ahead rom com. Like you know, Crazy Rich Asians wasn't even nominated for anything. So, still struggling with that. Um, the one uh, award that I think it most clearly deserves is screenwriting. Like this is a really, really well structured and well written movie and I feel like that's why it's kind of stuck around and hung around as long as it it has right mm -hmm. like it plays so well with audience information which I, I think I was watching for a little bit more closely on this viewing where oh, yeah. the audience is always a little bit ahead of the characters right there's a, even if it's just for like the space of one scene or even half a scene there is there are many many periods throughout this movie where we have more information than the characters do and they use that to create so much tension, where we can see as two characters gradually converge and come to learn the thing that the other one did that the audience has known all along. And that's just such good structuring that they can find moments for that so frequently throughout the film. So like there, there is the moment where we, we know that Shirley MacLaine is sleeping with Fred McMurray, and we know that they're doing it at Baxter's apartment, but neither Baxter nor Kubrick knows either one of those other things. Yeah. Right? And we see how that's converging and how that's that's gathering tension. Right, right? and that builds up to the mirror scene, which I thought was great. Which is, well, it, it is great, right? Yeah. And I think there are so many little moments like that. Like, even at the very end of the movie, we we see um, the, the, the Jack Lemmon character toss the key onto the desk, and we see him pack his, his step <laughs> up and start to leave. So it, it's this, this information that we have that McMurray doesn't for the space of like 15 seconds, yeah. but it's still... A high tension moment. It still it like puts us in a, a puts the audience in a place of control. I think, and and in a in a place of like having information, right? That I, I think a lot yeah. of films, comedies, dramas, any, anything, are will move in the opposite direction in terms of depriving information from the audience and doling it out in what they believe to be you know an excitement and increasing activity um, when it isn't. You want to hear its uh, competitors in the yes. best picture category? Yes, I do. <clears throat> uh, apartment is the winner. Yep. This is 1961. Um, Oscars nominees include The Alamo with, okay. with John Wayne. Yep. Uh, I El remember that one. <laughs> Elmer, yeah. Elmer Gantry. Don't know what that is. Sons and Lovers. Oh, okay. And The Sundowners. Okay, so obviously one of those. Oh, Alamo I've heard of, at least, but one of those is clearly towers above the rest 
Yeah, I, I these are probably all pretty forgettable. Right, that, yeah. is, that is my guess. So, and, yeah. and this one, like, people still really like this. This is a popular movie to date. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think they probably made the right call there if part of the point of the Oscars is to identify what's going to, you know, stand the test of time. This one definitely has. Yeah. Um, man, I bet the Alamo doesn't hold up really well. <laughs> <laughs> you think? <laughs> oh, didn't that get remade by Disney in like the early aughts? And it just like tanked super hard. It was like a $100 million epic. And like. About the Alamo? Yeah, I'm pretty, pretty sure there was like a 2000 or 2001 version of the Alamo that was like. A huge epic, and it just like tanked. It's like one of the biggest huh. losses of all time. I have no memory of this. Well, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, obviously, yeah. if it was real, then yeah, well, it yeah. Like, who was in it? Uh, Are we gonna investigate? I feel like Emil Hirsch was in it. Oh, yeah, I can see that. That makes sense. I'm yeah. just making shit up. I don't know. I okay. think so, but that's a bummer. Like we don't get big giant Western. 2004. Okay. Uh, Dennis Quaid, Billy Bob Thornton. Um, but, Jason Patrick. <laughs> it's just called the Alamo. Yeah. Okay. In two thousand four. I, I I know nothing about this. How did you remember this? I just remember bombing really hard. Just the shot and Freud available there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's great. <laughs> so like, yeah, I don't know. Little things like that stick with me. Yeah. Do you remember Mars Needs Moms? That was another... Which one? I remember seeing a trailer for that. It's a huge bomb. It disappeared. Yeah, it was like, a, again, it was Disney, I think. And it was, it was like, like a, an animated movie, right? Yeah, like $100 million plus, like, bomb. Mars Needs Moms? Mars Needs Moms, That's yeah. a terrible title. Yeah. That might be part of the reason it didn't oh, do that. Yeah. Right? Well, when the issue was, up until the, that point, I think there hadn't really been, like, a 3D animated movie that had bombed, so they were just, like... Just green lighting everything <clears throat> to get made, and this is the first one that just like tanked. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. I don't. Yeah. I don't want fucking three D movies at all. So. I, uh, yeah. So the film received. Mi- this is for the Alamo. The film received mixed critics by mixed reviews by critics and was a massive box office bomb, losing the studio over one hundred and forty six million dollars. Damn. <laughs> In two thousand four, like that's even more. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, that was not the case here. Cause this no, movie, yeah. Yeah, this movie is still making money and was probably dirt cheap to make. Uh, it was $3 million. So, Okay, there we go. The budget. It was $3 million. Yeah. I don't know what that, I actually have no idea. I don't know if it so. didn't note if it was converted or not. Okay. There, there were some interesting, like, dollar amounts in the film. Like, when he gives her $100. Right, yeah. that's a huge amount. It's $1,000 he's giving her. Yeah, and yeah. That's, a, that's a week's salary for, for yeah. the extra character. It's said, fucking rents, like, $85 a month. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And it went up recently, $285. Um, <laughs> and when he buys the hat, it's like a $15 hat. And I looked right. that up, and it's like $150. So it's like... So yeah. He's kind of blowing money around. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's yeah. tossing money around. Even though he's, like, not upgrading his apartment, he's, like... Is like this is one expenditure, yeah. right? Yeah. Also, that hat was stupid, and he should not have worn it. <laughs> yeah. oh, that, was, that was such good editing. The moment he puts it on, and yeah. they cut to that shot where he like kind of like flips up in the middle of the screen. <laughs> yeah. And the background's like super light, so yeah. you can like see the it's head just, contrasting. It's just all him. <laughs> but there's such an abruptness to him, like kind of moving onto the scene mm-hmm. that yeah. like was really funny, and yeah. he looked ridiculous. Yeah, this movie had a lot. Like, it oh, he says how much he makes too. I did the math on that. He was making like forty grand a year or something. Okay, at his like base level job, living on fifty. What did you say? It was like ninety five dollars a week or something. Something like that. Yeah. Right, and yeah. he can afford a one bedroom on Sixty Seventh Street, a block from the park. Well, again, <laughs> like it's it's coded as being like not a great place. Yeah. Right, but it's still funny to think about. This. Yeah, changed. Yeah, rent there now would be like thirty five hundred dollars. Yeah, there, there's a Chinese restaurant in the film that's featured prominently too. Mm-hmm. Where, um, it's kind of the like place to bring your dates. Yes, uh, it's mysterious and secretive at the Chinese restaurant. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, that was interesting. And she, at the end, she like leaves to get with Jack Lemon. Yeah, and they just show her running. I was like, did she run from Chinatown all the way up to? Oh, you think the Chinese restaurant was in Chinatown? Might have been. I've assumed. Yeah. Okay, that's uh, that's yeah. many miles. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would, yeah, I I did not assume that, but that would be funny. It's movie just, magic. Everything that happens in this movie is in a five block radius. <laughs> right. I right. mean, they just show her running, so it's like yeah, <laughs> no, right. Literally, oh, it's implied that his office is in the Empire State Building, right? I or, think so. Or like, it, it yeah. looks like the MetLife Building, but I don't think the MetLife Building existed then. Yeah. Oh, I I should look that up again. I I didn't pay attention. 
Yeah, but it, it, it yeah, looks like... I'd be interested. Yeah, one of the giant Midtown buildings. Yeah. It's supposed, on it. it's supposed to be an Empire State Building-like office yeah. building. Yes. Yeah. I think so. Um, but yeah, the, the point, Charles, that you raised with the editing into that hat, like, this movie does a lot of, like, close-ups really well. Like, I think that Billy Wilder managed... It won the editing Oscar. And it earned yeah. it, right? Like, yeah. I think that it, it, it uses editing well. Because usually what best editing means at the Oscars is most editing. Like, you'll just, they'll just look at the movie that, like, looks like it was edited a lot, and, like, that one will win. Um, but I think this one, like, it, it, it's more judicious. Like, it, it's not a flashy movie at all. Like, it mostly takes place in, you know, seven or eight sound stages in L.A. And I, it, it makes its, it makes use of that by just, like, having these close-ups that are really... I think well managed and like well positioned. Like you have the one with, with Shirley MacLaine at the New Year's party. You have the one um, that's a little shot a little higher where she's sitting on the couch as McMurray is like, you know, giving her the runaround again. She's crying and like that one works really well. And then the Jack Lemon, numerous Jack Lemon close-ups, but including mm -hmm. the one with the hat. Well, it's it's written <clears throat> like a play, but I think the editing kind of like saves it from being mm -hmm. just like a film play. Yeah, which yeah. is good. So like a lot of nineteenth older stuff like that doesn't escape the confines of like a play yeah and i think that's yeah. one of billy wilder's strengths um is that he is a director who was still brought up in this theater focused or at least theater adjacent era mm -hmm. and he managed to be a film director right like and he he takes these what what could e very easily be stage plays and many of them were like odd couple was has been staged many times still is and makes it look like a movie um and i think that that takes a, a a hold and a understanding of, of cinematic language that was not as well explored um, when he was when he was younger. Like he's a, he's one of the best American directors for a reason, um, and I think you see his his the breadth of his skill in the wide variety of movies that he's made. So yeah, I like Billy Wilder a lot. I think he's good. Mm -hmm. uh, any closing thoughts on on the apartment? Um, no, I mean. Just what I said before. I okay. enjoyed the first <laughs> half of it quite a bit, um, but was less convinced by the remaining half. Yeah, which I guess is kind of true of rom-coms in general, right? Like, they usually yeah. start stronger than they end. <laughs> like, that is a, a common and, I think, fair critique. I mean, comedies in general have that problem. Yeah. Right? Where it's just like, all right, we got through all our jokes, so... Now I guess we kind of yeah, ended yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> yeah, here we go. We have to um, introduce some sort of drama to like get us across the finish line. Yeah, and I think this one does it better than most in that like the, the drama is internal to Jack Lemmon, um, but the interpersonal drama, which is still, I think, probably the most compelling thing about this movie because Shirley MacLaine is so good in it, um, yeah, kind of is, is backgrounded um, as the movie progresses. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it feels like it's transgressive for its time. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it 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 feels like this kind of proto-feminist text. Like it has some obvious problems, but it's still 1960 coming out it's of a major studio. Probably very progressive for the time. Yeah, and yeah. I think it should deserves credit for that, right? That you have this this character who ends up kind of asserting her agency. You see how like her, the bad treatment at the hands of men really truly makes her suffer. Like it drives her to suicide. Right. Like. That's taking the bad acts of Fred McMurray pretty seriously, right? Yeah. And it's not just, it's none of this like, you know, just get over it lady kind of thing. Like the movie doesn't do that. And I think it deserves credit for that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't love it, but Okay, I still love I, it. I, I get mean, it. This, I think this is a great movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This, this is good this is good stuff. Um anyway, we'll be back uh, in a moment with things we've seen. Uh, stay tuned. Right, and we're back with things we've seen. Usually a section where we talk about like more contemporary things, sometimes things in theaters that we've seen recently. Charles, what did you watch? I saw Aquaman, and I was very pleasantly surprised by this movie. I, I was in same you experience. Were yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we talked about it briefly in the Best of 2018 episode. Yeah. But, uh, I, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. I have very low expectations for DC, but in addition, I never knew Aquaman's character too much. I only know about him through people kind of making fun of him for yeah. like ridiculous powers. It's hard to get this character right. Yeah, 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 but I think they did a great job. I didn't expect the movie to be like, you know, one of the most sci-fi pictures I'd seen all year. I did not expect that at all. I agree, yeah, it's a sci-fi epic. Yeah, yeah, and they made all the undersea civilizations seem like 
really cool and not that ridiculous. Like, I mean, there's there's some like cartoonish elements to it. You got like the people riding sea animals and like the octopus playing drums or whatever. But like, there's an octopus playing drums. Yeah, yeah there is. I and that was a joke. There's no, it's real. <laughs> um, so, but someone pointed this out that there's actually sharks with laser beams on their heads. There are. In this movie. <laughs> they literally are. Yeah. And uh, it, like, they, were, they managed to sell it. It's I, actually really fucking cool. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I it's thought all of that was a joke. No, it's, no, this is all real. Um, and like, so yeah, say it again. There's a Cthulhu in it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I okay. described it as a level five <clears throat> kaiju. Voice, uh, <laughs> voice, five. voice by. Do you know who voiced the Cthulhu? Oh no, I'm thinking of something else then. Who who voiced it? Uh, Julie Andrews. Wait, what? <laughs> what? Julie Andrews is the voice of Cthulhu in this movie. I'm like, I, I should double check that because it's an absurd claim. Yeah, what? And like, it feels wrong in my head. I don't believe you. <laughs> yeah, like, there's no way. I heard. Wait, do you mean the giant monster? Yeah. Oh wait, no, it does talk. I forget now. I forgot that it talked. Okay. Yeah, because that's like the turn. Yeah, I forgot about yeah. that moment. I just remembered it like you know doing monster noises. Yeah, she's Julie Andrews. Wow. Oh my Ju- god, Julie Andrews. She's Carathan. So they okay. they couldn't they couldn't pull her for the new uh, Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins yeah, right. got her <laughs> got her for Aquaman. She was like, "Sorry, I've already signed with Aquaman. I have two days yeah. of work at Aquaman." Yeah. yeah, and I didn't expect. So like, we always complain that the DC universe is so drab and boring. I didn't expect a movie set literally at the bottom of the ocean to be the most <laughs> colorful entry in the DC universe. Yeah, and this was by far. I mean, they explain it by like they can see underwater, so fine. But like, all the underwater civilizations are so bright and That's vibrant cool. and colorful and. They have essentially spaceships that are underwater craft, and like you know, it's super awesome. Unclear why they have those because they can swim very fast too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I I like this movie a lot. I think it's like of the post uh, Dark Knight movies. It's for me is the best like DC. Movie. It may be. It's the most enjoyable for sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, like. It's a rare plot, bright spot in yeah. the dourness of all the Snyder series. Yeah. The plot, I'd say, was good <clears throat> enough, but it doesn't feel like the reason you're into this kind of movie. Uh, one thing I appreciated was I liked the director, James Wan. He, he did some like the, of the Fast and Furious yeah. movies. And he, and he did he the did... last Star Trek. Sorry, I interrupted you, but last Star Trek movie. Did he? I Doesn't didn't like know him. Yeah, which yeah. was also like very fun. Yeah, the movie was great. If, yeah. So he, he definitely knows how to do like a fun action film. Yeah, yeah. so I, I like what he did in the Fast and the Furious franchise. And uh, he had some very fun directorial flourishes in this one. Like um, in the Fast and the Furious, they have a scene where The Rock like puts someone into a table, right? And they kind of <laughs> rotate the camera uh, like locked onto the guy who's being flipped. So right. the whole thing like turns and he did that again in this one. It's a really fun effect if Here. you use it very sparingly. Yeah. This is where Aquaman is like in Kmart jeans and like beating up all the Black Manta Yeah, he's people. on the submarine. Yeah. And one, yeah. of, one of the people, he throws him into the side of the subway and it does the rotation thing. And it's yeah. a fun little move. As That's long as you cute. only do it once per movie, it's a fun <laughs> thing to do. Uh, one thing I was really impressed by, well, they had some fun transitions in the beginning. For sure, yeah. Uh, one thing I was really impressed by was when they're uh, having the action chase in Italy. And so the female character gets separated off into a separate chase from Aquaman, right? Mm-hmm. So he does this thing where he's like filming Aquaman's chase. And then he kind of like pans the camera up and like zooms across the village to the other scene. So you know exactly where they're spaced geographically because he doesn't cut the camera. He just like flies the camera to the other scene. <clears throat> okay. And it looks really cool and it makes the scene more clear. And I really appreciated that. That was a really cool like technique. And then he zooms back to Aquaman uh, after the female character's uh, chase is done. Okay, that's Amber Heard, right? Amber Heard, yeah. Yeah, okay. Cool. I like Dolph in here. Dolph Lundgren's um, in this movie? Yeah. Yep. Okay, now I'm actually still okay. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. good. He was very, like, majestic CGI hair. Like, oh, yeah. Floats <laughs> in the water. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's pretty good. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know he was in this. And Willem Dafoe's in this too, right? Yep. Willem Dafoe plays a, like, a major part of this. Yeah. What a cast. Yeah. That's pretty good. Okay, cool. So, yeah, so all things considered, it was a fun time. Thumbs up for Aquaman. Yeah, I liked it Safe. a lot. Okay, right on. What did you see, Crossman? Um, I watched the Fire Festival documentary. There's <laughs> one, the Hulu one, okay. not the Netflix one. Um, as been pointed out on Twitter, one thing that's nice about it is that it, the Hulu one implicates the. <laughs> The makers one. of the Netflix one yes. in the, the crimes <laughs> of Fire Festival. Meta drama about the two tiny Yeah. Oh my god. Um, yeah, I I've been fascinated with Fire Festival since the 
event. I remember you talking about and it. And this like really pulls back a lot of the like onion layers to <laughs> what went wrong and the crimes that occurred. Um, it's I, I like this documentary a lot. It's pretty dark. Um, they interview some like pretty knowledgeable but also like sassy folks who were like <laughs> looking into this. Um, I think one of the most enjoyable parts is um, a reporter named uh, Gia Tolentino. She's a, a good writer, but she is like goes very hard into why everybody involved is terrible and like to, mm-hmm. does a good job of like critiquing. <clears throat> the kind of like generational aspects and the the notion of like wealth and yeah she's like really good in this film and a number of the other people that are interviewed are all are also really good um it's fascinating to watch just this uh, is a straight up documentary right straight documentary they get the guy who organized fire festival on camera and like interviewing and that's like a lot a lot of it. <laughs> well they start with his, his gar- girlfriend his like yeah. current girlfriend and you're like like whoa how did they get her and then like pretty quickly go to like him and okay it's like, oh okay that's how they got her yeah yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> right. um I mean, because the fun yeah. thing, like, the re- I think part of the reason this story sticks and, like, it doesn't just become, like, this horrible tragedy is that it was a bunch of rich people, right? Like, it was. it's kind of fun. It's like, oh, yeah, these rich people got fucked over. Great. Right? Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's they get into that. Uh, you know, it, it didn't come out enough, like, how much the Bahamanian people were sort of subject to this. Oh, what's that what happened? Yeah. And they're definitely, like, you know, they're, they're on the short end of the stick, yeah, for right. sure. Um, but yeah, the, it was also interesting to hear about sort of the ventures that this guy Billy came up with beforehand, which mm-hmm. I'd read a little bit about, but it was interesting to hear more about like what was essentially a um, um, like a money laundering scheme or a, like a pyramid scheme that was his like first venture and that led into this like fire festival Much larger thing. scam. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, Ja Rule's involvement is also pretty fascinating. What does Ja think? Yeah. <laughs> well, they they cut to they do, do the, that they, joke. Someone refers to it, and they like they take that David. Yeah, that, it's like here's what he thinks. <laughs> yeah, um, it's pretty funny. But Ja's always like in the shots, and he's like always like doing a toast. Okay. Because there's so much there's so much footage because it's a social media right event. Sure, yeah. And so, yeah, Jaws always like making a toast and like seems <laughs> to just be like, like, I, 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 he, he, he plays an interesting line between like victim and perpetrator because okay. he seems to have been duped by this scheme for sure, but he's also like one of the major perpetrators of the scheme. Right. Uh, huh. So he does not come off well, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Are you going to watch the Netflix one? Probably yeah. not. I, I, I think I got it. Once enough. Like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's a lot of interesting things about the Netflix stuff though, that there, I read this article on where um, someone noted that the people that are interviewed in the Netflix documentary are also producers of that documentary mm-hmm. and are not noted in the film as producers. Um, so, yeah. yeah, there's like a lot of sketchy stuff That's around weird. that. And, yeah. 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 There's, yeah. There's a complex relationship between these two films. That yeah. I don't care to unpack or understand yeah but there's like a lot of ex-employees of this like billy guy like came and like dished on the hulu one and it was just like man these people don't give a fuck that's that's some juicy yeah juicy drama right there uh yeah it's a cool doc i I recommend it cool yeah Uh, it's also pretty short so okay that helps like it moves at least i don't know if it's short but they like it it goes yeah okay yeah uh i watched a documentary as well that is uh that was short um, and recently uh, nominated for a Academy Award, Hale County This Morning, This Evening, comes in at a slim hour 15, mm-hmm. uh, currently at the Metrograph. It's, so the, the premise is that this, uh, the director moved to this tiny town in, in Hale County, um, which has been the South and like rural, essentially, uh, to coach the basketball team. He was a hobbyist um, photographer and gradually moved into film just because he was interested in it. And the movie he released, Hale County, is really just like a collection of the various scenes and events that he shot with with no narration at all, very little connective tissue from scene to scene. So it's really just, it it was described as like a visual poem almost Mm -hmm. of just like, 
here's some stuff that happened in this town. And like, here's what these people that live here have to deal with. Um, so it, it seems like an overwhelmingly black community. Pretty much every character that we see here, character person that we see here is, uh, is African-American. Um, there are, there's a handful of like the talking head type of interviews that you get in documentaries. And most of them are with his, his athletes talking about how, oh, they're going to, they need to try really hard to make it to the league. The only shot that they have to get out of this town is to play basketball and like, so hoops, hoop dreams kind of thing. Um, but it also is just a lot of sequences about here's what this town looks like. It's a lot of, you can, you can see his. It's influenced as a photographer where he'll he'll position a stationary camera for really, really long shots, like several minutes where like not that much happens or it's just like casual conversation between two people that happen to be in the frame at this time. Um, so it takes on like an almost trance like quality for the audience because you just kind of follow along and like are just in this town for a while and there's no narrative or drama in it to distract you from just the images that you're seeing and these people that are just going about their lives. Um, so I hadn't really seen a movie like it before, like, or, or at least a documentary like it before, that, is, that, that comes to its subject with no agenda and like no expectations of what they're, they're putting together. And it just feels like almost a Dogma 95 style, here's what's going on in front of the camera right now. Um, and still very nice to look at. Like you can see his influence, the influences that he drew as a, as a photographer in numerous shots throughout this film. So, so it was, it's definitely worth seeing. Um, you gotta, kinda gotta go into it with an open mind, but it is also doesn't ask, ask that much of you because it's you know, 75 minutes long. Um, so it, it, it go, went pretty quick. Um, it's playing at Metrograph right now. I imagine it'll probably get, end up on a few more screens because it did get an Oscar nomination mm. the other day. Um, which I was kind of surprised to see because this is like anti-narrative, right? Like it's, it's affirmative. It's like doing a lot to like cut against anything but the most rudimentary stories about these people's lives. Um, so I don't know if it'll win, but that it got nominated at all is, is extraordinary. You didn't find that it would get boring if it was just like a lengthy scene with like not much happening in it? You would expect that, and it doesn't. Like that's the thing. Like you yeah. just it just feels like so genuine and like so honest about what's going on and you kind mm -hmm. of like get in the rhythms of the movie mm -hmm. um, and it does a really good job of just like framing this like day in the life of this town kind of structure mm -hmm. um, that you, like th there's one sequence where it's there's a couple watching TV on the couch right and the camera is situated such that you're like low to the ground and there is a toddler just like running back and forth between the front of the TV and down the hall and back. And it does that for like a good five minutes. And like you hear their <laughs> conversation in the background, you see this toddler like explore the space a little bit, and then it just cuts away to something else. And it's like unrelated to what was going on with this toddler mm -hmm. and this couple. And the movie does stuff like that a lot. Um, so if that feels like something that is interesting to you, and I understand if it is not, um, go check out Hale County this morning, this evening. It sounds um, like, um, have you heard of Leviathan? Yeah. Yeah, it's um, There's a doc movie. that was like. Oh, oh, well, are we talking about, because the, there was a doc and there was a, like a narrative. The documentary. Film. Okay. The seen. documentary is just kind of like captured footage on like a fishing boat. Okay. Yeah, yeah I think I'm thinking of something else. Because there's a different movie called Leviathan. That yeah, there's a narrative else. film called Leviathan. It's like three hours long. Yeah. yeah. There's a documentary, Leviathan, which Definitely. is just like. My understanding is that they just like attached a bunch of like GoPros to a fishing boat and sure. like whatever they caught was like what went into the film. Right. And, and yeah. this this is more like intentionally framed than that. Yeah. But in terms of the content that, that he ends up with, it, it I think probably does have a lot in common yeah. with what you're describing. Um, so yeah, the movie's called Hale County uh, this morning, this evening. Uh, go check it out if you want to get a be the smart one during your Oscar party and say, hey, I saw one of the documentaries. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's worthwhile. Um, so we're, we talked about it last week, um, and it's still true this week, that we've, we've shaken up our formatting a little bit. We had previously not let Charles pick any movies, um, and we've <laughs> <laughs> let him pick one, um, and now we're going to let him pick another one, and I think that's going to be our pattern from here on out. So the uh, other rules still apply, that this is still movies Charles hasn't seen, so you're going to be picking something kind of blind, um, yeah. but other than that, uh, the, the world is your oyster. So what are we watching next week? Uh, I've always been curious about the movie Moon, yes. uh, so I like to pick that because oh, I feel yeah. like I hear a lot about it online. Um, so I think you'll like it. It, it. Moon is a good movie, and just 
you know, the un, unadulterated Sam Rockwell for 90 minutes is is awesome. So yep. yeah, just, so Moon is good. Looking forward to seeing it. Okay, great. Cool. Um, so thanks for listening. Um, if you're liking the show, please share it with people. Um, it makes a difference. Please review on iTunes. Um, that also really makes a difference. Uh, I've been trying to stay more active on our, not active, but at least posting on our Twitter account. So if Twitter is more convenient to you than uh, Facebook or SoundCloud, um, you can find us there, um, NCHS Podcast um, on Twitter, and the name of the podcast, Movies Charles Hasn't Seen on Facebook. Um, so we will see you next week uh, for Moon. So long.